On January 16, 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court decided to take up the issue of same-sex marriage, or marriage equality. Currently, there are 36 states that acknowledge same-sex marriages. Wisconsin is one of them. The court will hand down its decision by June 29, 2015. The talk you're about to hear is titled, Marriage Equality in Wisconsin, Are We There Yet? It was presented by attorney Tamara Packard and sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County on January 17, 2015, in Madison, as part of the League's Lively Issues Luncheon. The handout given for this talk is downloadable at their website at www.lwvdanecounty.org. Tamara Packard is introduced by co-chair Ingrid Roth, and an audience discussion follows the talk. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our next speaker, Tamara Packard. Uh, she may already be well known to those of you who are following voter ID since uh, she appeared on behalf of the State League in our effort to strike down the voter photo ID as unconstitutional under the Wisconsin Constitution. But she has many other skills in addition. Um, she is also well known for her work in employment, labor, and civil rights law. She's a partner in Cullen, Weston, Pines, and Bach, and has been practicing law since 1994, primarily in the areas of litigation and appeals. She's been listed in the Best Lawyers in America since 2011, in Wisconsin Super Lawyers since 2010, and the Wisconsin Law Journal honored her at its 2010 Women in the Law Awards. She also serves as an adjunct professor at the UW Law School. So she has many other credentials, um, but particularly relevant to today's topic, she was appointed by the Honorable Shelley Gaylord, Dane County Judge, as a Dane County Supplemental Court Commissioner. And this appointment allows her to officiate at marriage ceremonies throughout Wisconsin, and she did do that in the, a lot in June. So she will be speaking on marriage equality. Are we there yet? So please join me in welcoming Tamara Packard. I'm here to talk to you today about marriage equality. The question is, are we there yet? And the answer is no. All right, go on. Uh, <laughs> but uh, really, uh, we've, we've been, uh, we meaning uh, LGBT civil rights uh, people and lawyers, uh, have been working for marriage equality for more than one generation. Um, there is a current generation of cases um, that have worked their way through. And that current generation started uh, really in 1993 with the Hawaii decision, Bear versus Lewin. Um, and in that decision, the Hawaii Supreme Court determined that it was a violation of Hawaii's constitution uh, and the equal protection provisions in that constitution to deny marriage equality to same-sex couples. Um, the legislature quickly passed a constitutional amendment uh, basically eliminating um, that decision. So in fact, Hawaii did not get marriage equality in 1993. But it, it was the first decision where a, a, a high court, a Supreme Court, um, actually analyzed the arguments of equal protection and of fundamental right uh, to marry uh, and, and right to due process uh, and determined that in fact those constitutional concepts 
required equal treatment for same-sex couples under the law uh, when it came to marriage. So it, it, it gave us something to start from, um, and it was, it was the first time anybody actually articulated it and analyzed it. So that was, that was a really, you know, excellent thing to happen. Now I say that that's the current generation. There was an earlier generation of efforts um, which basically ended in 1972 uh, when the United States Supreme Court uh, dismissed a case that had come to it from Minnesota called uh, Baker versus Nelson. Uh, and in Baker versus Nelson, the United, the United States Supreme Court uh, did not issue an opinion, but again, it was a, it was a, it was the question was, do same-sex couples have the right to marry under Minnesota law? They issued no decision. They dismissed it for want of substantial federal question. Um, what that kind of means is, gee, we don't think this is even really a serious uh, issue. We aren't going to deal with it um, and just go away, you kids, get off my lawn, okay? Um, but because there was that decision. They didn't just say, we don't want to decide this case. We said, this isn't really a serious question. You know, just that. Um, because that decision was out there, we still hear about that um, when in, the, in this current generation of, of uh, decisions. So uh, you may hear about Baker versus Nelson, um, and that's how you'll hear about it, because people who are or who are arguing against marriage equality say, hey, the Supreme Court already decided um, back in 1972 when they issued this one sentence, you know, no serious issue, no serious question decision. Um, the way we get around that, the way we get beyond that is that there have been doctrinal, de doctrinal developments um, on the issue of marriage equality since that time, on the issue of uh, sexual orientation discrimination and so forth, including the Romer versus Evans decision, uh, the Lawrence versus Texas decision, and of course the Windsor decision. Um, those are all not exactly marriage cases, but they were the cases that uh, really developed the case law talking about uh, equality. Um, and a right to equal treatment and a right uh, to not be discriminated against on the basis of sexual orientation under federal constitutional concepts. Okay, so where I, I, I went off on a little bit of a tangent with Baker versus Nelson, uh, but Bear versus Lewin, 1993, Hawaii. Uh, then in 1996, the United States Congress got real worried. Um, right after that Hawaii decision and realized that it was, there was actually a distinct possibility that other judges might actually agree with the Hawaii Supreme Court um, and might actually require other states to provide marriage equality. And so the United States Congress said, well, gee, we really don't, you know, we don't want that to happen. We don't like change. Um, and so they enacted the 1996 uh, Federal Defense of Marriage Act. And that that law had two parts to it. And by the way, it, that, that law was signed by President Clinton. So, you know, for better or for worse, uh, the Democrats have not always been on the side of marriage equality. Um, Clinton signed it. Um, so that was 1996. Section 2 of that, uh, that law, that federal law, allows states to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages that are performed elsewhere. So that law said for instance, to Wisconsin, somebody goes to Iowa and gets married and they come back to Wisconsin, you don't have to recognize that marriage. 
it's okay if your law doesn't, um, if you you as a state do not want to recognize marriages formed elsewhere between same-sex couples, then you don't have to. Uh, now, Section 3 went ahead and defined the term marriage for federal purposes, for federal law purposes. And it said that only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife is a marriage for federal law purposes. Um, and again, it also defines spouse for federal purposes to mean only a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or a wife. So in other words, what Section 3 of DOMA did, the Defense of Marriage Act did, is it said that uh, the feds will not recognize same-sex marriages, regardless of whether your state recognizes it or not. All right, well, that didn't mean a whole lot to anybody in terms of practical effects for quite a while. Uh, it wasn't until eight years later that we had our first uh, state that actually accomplished marriage equality, and that was 2004, Massachusetts. Um, Many of you will remember that uh, that decision coming out. It was it was a watershed moment um, for marriage equality. It was um, a really very exciting time. Um, now, between 2004 and 2013, there was a, a flurry of activity, um, both at the legislative level and in, in courts across the country. Um, by June 2013, we had marriage equality in 12 states, in Washington, D.C., in eight different tribal nations in the United States, and then a number of, uh, of foreign countries also accomplished marriage equality, including Canada, uh, as well as France, England, Spain, Sweden, so forth. Um, now, on the other hand, 29 states, so we had 12 states with marriage equality, we had 29 states that enacted some kind of a law or constitutional amendment that said, we will not recognize uh, marriages formed elsewhere between same-sex couples, and moreover, we won't give you a marriage license if you want to marry someone of your same gender. So, uh, actually, that was, yeah, some sort of constitutional amendment. That was 29, and then there were an additional four that just had a law. It wasn't a constitutional amendment. So we had 33 states that said, no way, we don't want to, we don't want to have, you know, marriage equality here. Um, but 12 said, we do have marriage equality. So this created a very odd patchwork. Um, and that patchwork has only gotten more complicated, but then slightly less complicated. And, and your current patchwork, our current patchwork, um, I tried to illustrate it in the handout. I think it's the last page in your handout. It didn't photocopy particularly well. But what I tried to do here was to show you the United States marked off by different federal circuits, and then where I put stripes, those are places that have marriage equality. So right now, today, and it could change you know, tomorrow, um, but right now uh, we have 36 states with marriage equality and 14 states that do not have marriage equality. So depending on where you live and where you happen to be, when you need your marriage to be recognized, um, you are or you aren't married if you're a same-sex couple. And I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, in, on, on January 1st, my wife and I, we got married uh, last June. Uh, we went to Washington, D.C. We got married in, in, in Washington in June. 
on January 1st, 2015, we traveled to Florida to visit my dad. And in Florida, on January 1st, we were not recognized as married. On January 6th, Florida started having same-sex marriages because there had been a decision that was a final decision and uh, that, that required marriage equality. And so suddenly on January 6th, we went from being not married to being married, according to Florida authorities. We didn't do anything. Our status changed because the law changed. Um, by the same token, when we go to visit my mom in Ohio, uh, you know, if we were to go visit them, well, tomorrow or today, we would not be considered married by the authorities in Ohio. But we would be considered by married here and in 36 other states, just not Ohio and the other 13 that are currently not marriage equality states. So when I say, are we there yet, or when I answer the question with, are we there yet, with the answer of no, um, that's why I say no. We have marriage equality in Wisconsin, and that is fantastic, and we have it in 36 states, and that's fantastic, but until and unless I can drive my car anywhere in the continental United States and then take a boat over to Alaska or to Hawaii and be considered married, we are not there yet because we're not. And don't even get me started on, like, you know, other countries, but... The situation in other countries is also improving unless, you know, we're talking about places where people are, you know, sent to the, uh, you know, given the death penalty for being gay. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's another talk, I suppose. Um, all right, so we had this patchwork uh, by 2013. Um, and in Wisconsin, though, we did have a little mitigating um, event, which was in 2009, we passed... Uh, we enacted the Domestic Partnership Registry, which allowed for a small set of rights and responsibilities um, for married uh, for non-married same-sex couples who registered uh, under Wisconsin law. There was no federal significance, with one exception having to do with Social Security. Um, and, of course, once you left the state of Wisconsin, those domestic partnership rights did not travel with you because no other state recognized a Wisconsin domestic partner registry or registration. So it provided some limited um, benefits and it still does, it's still available, um, but it was very much a second class uh, citizenship opportunity. All right, so I keep talking about 2013. What happened in 2013? Well, on June 26, 2013, the United States Supreme Court issued the uh, Windsor decision, the United States versus Win Windsor. The site for it is in your materials. Uh, I put that there partly because I've used this presentation also for lawyers, but also if you if you just you know put in that citation into Google, you can actually pull up the decision and read it yourself. It's it's actually quite an interesting decision once you get past all the goofy standing stuff. Um, but in the United States, in the United States versus Windsor. Um, the United States struck down that section three of DOMA, of the domestic, of the, uh, excuse me, the uh, Defense of Marriage Act. Um, it was a five to four decision. Um, and it all came about because Edith Windsor and Thea Spire loved each other. Um, and they loved each other. They were together since 1963. Um, they were New York State residents. And after 44 years of being together, 
in 2007, they went to Canada and they got married. Uh, so it was a 44-year engagement. I'm pretty sure that marriage was going to stick. Now, part of the reason they went to Canada and, and got married was that um, Theaspire's health was not so great. Um, and in fact, in 2009, she died. Edith filed uh, the estate taxes, um, filed for the exemption based on her marriage, based on their marriage, filed to be exempt from estate tax um, payments. And the exemption was denied by the federal government because the federal government refused to recognize their marriage because of the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, the state of New York, by the way, did recognize their marriage by that time, um, which turned out to be a rather important fact uh, to Justice Kennedy and the majority um, of, of justices who ruled in their favor. Um, in a five to four decision, um, the United States Supreme Court found that Section 3 of DOMA, which said feds will not recognize same-sex marriages, uh, they found that that um, was unconstitutional. It was a deprivation of the liberty of the person protected by the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Um, people talk about this case as, as having found uh, a violation of both due process and equal protection rights under the Constitution. It wasn't quite that clear. Um, but nevertheless, uh, the $363,000 tax bill um, that Edith Windsor had paid and then, but had paid under protest, had to be refunded to her. Um, and, and that was really the practical effect for uh, Edith and Thea. She, you know, Edith got her $363,000 back, um, but what that did was it really set a precedent, a very important precedent, that uh, since that time has led to a wide number, a large number of, of lower courts saying, yes, actually marriage equality is required because it is, it is wrong, it is uh, unconstitutional to, uh, to treat same-sex couples differently than opposite-sex couples. It was important to Kennedy um, that New York recognize their marriage um, because New York chose to protect the, this couple, um, chose to recognize that marriage, chose to grant them that equal protection of the law, and for the federal government to then take that um, protection and actually... Uh, well, to use the Defense of Marriage Act to, in fact, reject that marriage um, was injuring a, a class of people that the state of New York had chosen to protect. And uh, he explained that the essence of, of DOMA was to interfere with the equal dignity of same-sex marriages. Uh, so that was a really big decision, and we all had rallies and all kinds of stuff to celebrate it. Um, but like I said, since that time, that decision and the reasoning in it has really been uh, the foundation of uh, further decisions specifically about marriage equality. Um, it didn't change anything for people in Wisconsin because 
Wisconsin still didn't recognize same-sex marriages. You couldn't get a license. You couldn't, um, and if you'd gone somewhere else to get married and come back, the state didn't recognize it, which meant the federal government also didn't have to recognize it even after Windsor. And part of the reason for that, part of the reason we were in that position is in 2006, uh, we, we voted to uh, adopt a constitutional amendment that uh, said that uh, marriages between same-sex same couples were neither recognized nor considered valid. Um, so same-sex couples couldn't adopt uh, one another's children. They couldn't adopt together. Um, they, the children of same-sex couples had no rights to support from the unrecognized parent, even though the parent was a parent in fact. Uh, there were no, no marital property rights, no access to divorce. Um, so if you went to Iowa and got married and came back, uh, if you then didn't want to be married anymore, you couldn't get divorced in Wisconsin. You, someone had to go somewhere else and establish residency and then get divorced. So it was a, it was a very uh, uh, sort of tricky time to be in a same-sex marriage since the state wouldn't recognize it and neither would the feds. There were... 1,100 federal laws, uh, and, and still are, 1,100 federal laws about marriage. Um, and whether the, the federal government would recognize that marriage or not had to do with whether the marriage was, uh, whether the law that we're talking about focused on the place of celebration or the place of residence. And what that means is some federal laws say, well, we'll, we'll recognize your marriage if you got married in a place that recognizes your marriage. And some federal laws say, well, we'll recognize your marriage if your home state recognizes your marriage. And so now that Windsor was out there, if you were married, in, married under Iowa law and living in Wisconsin, you had some rights relating to marriage that were federal rights, no state rights. But you didn't even have all of the federal rights because of this place of residence rule that applied to some of the laws. And I'm not going to go through my outline and the, the details um, that are in here about the various, various legal areas um, that, that those federal laws um, dealt with. But suffice it to say, when it came to income taxes, you would be, for this, this year, um, but in between June 2013 and June 2014, um, for income tax purposes, the federal government considered you married, but the state of Wisconsin did not. For estate taxes, um, married same-sex couples were treated as married um, for, for federal purposes. And of course, Wisconsin didn't have an estate tax, so that wasn't a big deal. Social Security benefits was a huge deal. Uh, Social Security statutes apply a place of residence rule. So when Wisconsin was not recognizing same-sex marriages, for Social Security purposes, the federal government wasn't either. So if Renee and I had been married during that time and uh, one of us had died during that year between June 2013 and June 2014, I would not, say Renee had died, God forbid, um, I would not receive survivor benefits based on that marriage because the state did not recognize that marriage and the federal rules 
tied it to a state, a place of residence rule. Um, immigration laws, that was a big improvement. Uh, immigration laws went by place of um, celebration. So I have some friends who lived in Ohio, which did not recognize their marriage, but uh, because the federal government did, uh, the one who was not a United States citizen was able to get a green card um, and didn't get deported when her um, legal uh, ability to be in the country, uh, her other legal ability to be in the country um, ended. So they got married so that Flo could stay in the country. Active military, military veterans, again, uh, very complex and just down to like some crazy weird patchwork details um, that if you're interested in that, not to just to read the outline, but also um, to, to go to the further resources um, that I reference uh, at the, I believe at the end of my outline. Oh, the After Doma fact sheet. Yeah, uh, you can Google it, After Doma fact sheet. Uh, that that gets you a whole lot of more information about that. Um, now, everything changed in Wisconsin, sort of, at least for eight days, and then it changed back. <laughs> and, and now it's back again um, on June 6, 2014. So... In February, the ACLU filed a marriage equality lawsuit in the federal district court in Madison, the Western District. Um, and it was given to Judge Crabb to decide. And it turns out that this is one of the biggest and one of her last decisions um, uh, as she's in senior status and taking less and less work right now. So Judge Crabb decided this case on June 6th. Uh, and her decision, her opinion, um, was very, very clear um, that it was a violation of the United States Constitution to deny equal access to marriage to same-sex couples. 100% fantastic opinion, beautifully written opinion. Um, she actually talked a lot about how um, having equal access to marriage really was about citizenship and that uh, to deny same-sex couples the access to marriage was a denial of full citizenship and th that that was particularly painful for people because of course marriage um, is something everybody understands and it's probably one of the biggest events in in people's lives you know getting married is a really big deal and everybody knows that um, and to deny access to that um, and to deny the dignity of that to people um, is depriving them of a facet of their citizenship um, so that was the opinion. Um, now, unusually, and maybe this was strategic and maybe it wasn't, I don't know. I wish I could get in her head. Maybe after she retires, she'll tell me. She did not issue an injunction along with her decision. She just wrote this, you know, 30-page opinion that said, this is wrong. The state should be providing access. But she didn't say, and therefore I command the state to provide access to marriage. But we all read that opinion, and we said, well, the clerks have an obligation to follow the law as it has been declared by an appropriate court. And so we went down to our county clerk's offices and started getting our marriage licenses. And we, we did that 
that day, June 6th, people were at the Dane County Clerk's Office and at the Milwaukee County Clerk's Office that day getting married, um, and it was a beautiful thing. That Those eight days, by the way, I did over 20 marriages. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really a really unbelievable time. It was a, a wonderful thing to be part of. Um, and I refer to those as the window marriages because, of course, what happened on June 6th was that was the opinion. We'd had marriages for eight days, and then on June 13th, she issued both an injunction saying, state of Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin officials, you must allow people to get married, and you must respect the marriages that are already formed, but this command is held, it stayed, until the appeal is taken, until the appeal is decided by the Seventh Circuit. So that slammed the window shut. No more marriages for now. Um, then they, the state did, in fact, appeal. Indiana was in the same kind of uh, situation. So Indiana was also uh, appealed uh, to the Seventh Circuit. And on September 4th, uh, the Seventh Circuit issued its decision saying, Judge Crabb was right. Uh, you have to allow marriages. On the other hand, it also said, but you don't have to allow, you don't have to follow this order yet because we know you want to appeal this to the US Supreme Court, so we're putting our decision on hold. Um, as a side note, the uh, the Seventh Circuit's decision came in record time. I mean, I, I don't know of any case that has ever been decided sooner, except there was one case out of Wisconsin that was, involved someone being in prison. Uh, and, and later in the day after the arguments, they issued the decision releasing her from prison. Um, but the Wisconsin and, and, and Indiana cases were argued on August 26th. And the decision was issued on uh, June or uh, September fourth, so eight days. Uh, and it was the decision was issued or was written by Judge Posner. And Judge Posner, uh, for those of you who follow, you know, the Seventh Circuit <laughs> judges, Judge Posner is a highly, highly respected, very conservative judge. Um, and so his decision, which was sharp and biting um, and kind of made a lot of fun of the state of Wisconsin's position in the case um, was not only just you know really brilliant um, but it it, it it was an opinion that a lot of other judges around the country are likely to um, respect and and appreciate and understand um, and in fact we know that the or you know, conventional wisdom among lawyers who pay attention to these things um, is that the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has a great deal of respect for Judge Posner, which is going to become very important since yesterday's decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the issue of marriage equality. And I'll get to that. I know most of you know about that. Okay, so everybody knew that Wisconsin and Indiana were going to appeal. They did. And everybody expected that at that point, the United States Supreme Court would probably hold on to the petition for the appeal and maybe eventually accept the petition for appeal. And eventually, maybe we would get a decision like in June of 2015 um, on marriage equality. 
they surprised us. And instead of, instead of taking up the petition or just holding the petition, they automatically, not automatically, but they very quickly denied the petition. What that did was it made the decision of the Seventh Circuit the final decision. And so that meant Indiana and Wisconsin immediately, guess what? We have marriage equality. So October 7th, 2014, marriage equality in Wisconsin. Um, it, so the, again, timeline, very quickly, June 4th, Judge Posner says, Judge Crabb is right. They have, the state of Wisconsin and the state of Indiana appeal, and just over a month later, October 7th, the United States Supreme Court says, we don't want to deal with this. That made Judge Posner's decision the last word, and then we got marriage equality. So the window's back open. It's open permanently. So marriage equality in Wisconsin, as long as you don't leave. <laughs> I'll also note uh, that domestic partner registry continues to be an alternative available to same-sex couples in Wisconsin, which makes some sense um, for people where marriage doesn't make sense, uh, and, and marriage involves a lot of financial decisions and, and financial implications. Uh, if you want to read more about that, I actually highly recommend uh, the article that was just uh, just came out in a magazine, Madison Magazine, called Our Lives, written by Chris Krimmer. Um, he wrote a, a very good and, and easy to understand uh, article about sort of the pros and cons of getting married uh, when it comes to the financial aspects. Um, all right, so like I mentioned, now we're at 36 down, 14 to go. That means 70% of Americans live in states where marriage equality is a reality. 70% of, of our population lives in a place where marriage equality is available. That's two times as many people as one year ago. This is moving very quickly. Um, there's a lot going on at the federal appellate level. Um, we've got pro-marriage equality rulings from the Fourth Circuit, the Seventh Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, and the Tenth Circuit. Those are all final decisions. They're not going anywhere. We have anti-marriage equality dis ru ruling, a anti-marriage equality ruling from one appellate court, the Sixth Circuit. That's the circuit court that governs Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, and Kentucky. All right, so those four, the, the people in those four states do not have access to marriage equality, and they will not have ma access to marriage equality until and unless the United States Supreme Court requires it, because their highest court said no. Uh, their, their appellate court said no. So yesterday, after these outlines were printed and put together for you, <laughs> the United States Supreme Court in the afternoon decided that they're taking up the Sixth Circuit decision. So remember when I talked about the Seventh Circuit and we thought that they would take up the petition and eventually you know, make a decision? Well, they actually did take up the Sixth Circuit's peti petition, or the petition that came out of the Sixth Circuit, petitions from all four states. Um, so we're going to get a decision from the United States Supreme Court on marriage equality by June 29th, 2015. That is the last day of the Supreme Court's term. 
We could get it slightly earlier, um, but they usually hold the really big, exciting cases for the very last day that they're going to release decisions. So, um, you know, if you want to be in Washington for a, kind of an exciting day, that might be a good idea to plan a trip somewhere between the 20th and the 29th of June. Um, we also have decisions pending. We're waiting to hear from uh, the Fifth Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, and the Eleventh Circuit. Um, now, the Fifth Circuit is the circuit that includes Texas, and those arguments were held just a couple of weeks ago, and people who pay attention to these things uh, think that that looks like a two-to-one decision in favor of marriage equality. It's a little bit like reading tea leaves. We don't really know what the decision is until we read it, um, but reading between the lines, people think that's going to be a marriage equality decision. Um, and I, I don't remember what the predictions are out of the 8th and the 11th. I think people are a little worried about the 8th Circuit. But again, it doesn't really matter in the big picture of, of big scheme of things as long as the United States Supreme Court decides the 6th Circuit case right. Because if they decide the 6th Circuit case in favor of marriage equality, that's it, that's the last word, and that is nationwide. So, um, there's a briefing schedule, like I said, in, in that case, uh, briefing will be done by mid-April. So, then, then they'll have arguments and then they'll have a decision, but it'll probably be June 29th. Um, oh, there's another piece of your handout, and it's, this would be like the second to last and third to last pages or so of your um, handout. This goes state by state and tells you um, sort of where things are. So, you know, if you're planning a road trip with your same-sex spouse, you might want to consider sticking to the states that have marriage equality so that, God forbid, anything bad happens, that your marriage will be recognized. I was talking with the folks at my table over lunch, and I, I decided, well, you know, if I wanted to drive to California... Renee and I wanted to go to California. We'd have to, you know, basically try and squeeze this little line here, just skirting the edge of um, South Dakota. I think that's what that state is, or I'm not even sure. Um, but we'd have to sort of squeeze that bit of a line there. There'd be a short period of time where our marriage would not be recognized, but otherwise we're pretty home free to get to California. Um, but we can't get out of the Midwest. Uh, we can't go east and we can't go south because we're circled um, by states that uh, don't have marriage equality right now and um, just sort of landlocked, I, I guess. The escape route is Canada. Absolutely right. Good point. Yep. I, I could go up and around and come back through Niagara Falls and, you know, a lovely place to honeymoon. Question. The U.S. Supreme Court decision comes out in favor of uh, same-sex marriage. What happens to our Wisconsin constitutional amendment at that point? Does it stay there? Does it go away? Does it? It becomes implode? obsolete. It becomes a dead letter. Uh, we say that we call it that. There are a, ver a variety of statutes um, that are still on the books um, out there. For instance, there are um, statutes criminalizing gay sex. Um, they're still on the books, but. Uh, they're unconstitutional, they can't be enforced, they're just sort of a historical artifact. Uh, and that would be the same for our constitutional amendment. You, you talked a bit about traveling from, from a state where your marriage is recognized to states where they're not. What would the ramifications be 
on a practical basis if something were to happen um, to either one of, of, of you or, or any same-sex couple? Sure. So, uh, for example, if we were in Ohio um, and I needed uh, to be in the hospital, uh, if the state of Ohio doesn't recognize our marriage, my wife doesn't have the right to make medical decisions for me based on the fact that we're married. Um, she would not necessarily be allowed in my hospital room because she would be considered a legal stranger. Um, so when marriage matters, it matters a whole lot. Marriage matters in times of crisis. Um, you know, it, it, it's not such a big deal, you know, when we're just like shopping, right? It, it matters when somebody is ill. Um, it matters when uh, there's a financial uh, crisis. Um, and, and, of course, that's why we do it. That's partly why we do it. We also do it because we love each other. Isn't the uh, amendment, Wisconsin amendment already kind of an, an artifact since... Uh people can get married? Yes, I, I would say that. I would say that right now, uh, Article 13, Section 13 of the Wisconsin Constitution is uh, a shameful mark on our Constitution, um, but it has no practical effect. What if the ruling from the Sixth Circuit goes in the other direction? What does that do to the rulings about 4th, 7th, 9th, and 10th? As I understand it, uh, in the unlikely, quite unlikely event that the Sixth Circuit decision is upheld by the United States Supreme Court, the pro-marriage equality decisions that already exist and are final still are there. So it sort of freezes in place the patchwork that exists right now, that especially it freezes in place the um, marriage inequality in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and it puts the onus on the people of those states to change their law, uh, to change it to marriage equality. Um, but, you know, since yesterday, um, I have discussed this question with uh, a, a large number of lawyers, and I've read, you know, some of the leading um, uh, leading minds on the, on this question. There is a very strong consensus that uh, the Supreme Court will rule for marriage equality. Uh, it'll be at least a five to four decision. It might be a six to three decision. And everybody seems to think, and of course, this may be a little bit of preaching to the choir, and you know, maybe that we're all talking to the same people. Um, but uh, everybody seems to agree we're going we're gonna to get it pro pro-marriage decision from the United States Supreme Court. We've been uh, laying the groundwork for this. There's a really great, um, you know, there's great precedent, um, and, and it, I think we're going to go there. Stepping away from the law briefly and speaking as a person, how did this happen so quickly? What, what has changed in people's hearts and minds? I would say there are a couple of things that are that have happened. One is it only looks like it's happened quickly. Um, <laughs> activists and lawyers have been working on marriage equality for more than a generation. Um, when I was in law school, I learned that there was a 
plan, call it the gay agenda, um, there was an agenda to have marriage equality by 2020. There was a, 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 an entire strategy to get us there, and it was 20 and 20 by 2020. So we were going to have 20 states with marriage equality, 20 states with something like a civil union, and that would allow us to then go to the Supreme Court and get those last 10 states some level of equality, and, and hopefully it would be full marriage equality. So there was a strategy, and there was a very clear um, legal strategy on how to get there. Now, the hearts and minds part um, is the other really important part of this, because you can't do it just with the law, right? Um, because the fact is, lawyers and judges are people too. Um, and if the ick factor, if the I don't know any of those people, and those people are not real people, or they're different from me factor, if that continued to exist, we wouldn't have gotten even this far. So I think, you know, Harvey Milk um, and, and other activists starting in the 1970s, encouraging people to be out, to be out in particular to their families um, and in the workplace and, and just help people understand that we are real people, um, that, that that campaign uh, at a very, very personal, more than grassroots level um, is really the reason why we've been able to get as far as we have and why we'll get the rest of the way. So in the event, or the likeliness, when the U.S. Supreme Court decides that the Sixth Circuit was wrong, what is the likelihood that they will take back up the motion to include same-sex marriage as a U.S. right, as opposed to, oh, well, it's just by circuit? Oh, the U.S. Supreme Court saying the Sixth Circuit was wrong will lay down the highest law of the land, what the United States Constitution requires, and so... Any place that doesn't already have marriage equality will automatically have marriage equality. So it, they don't even, nobody has to take it up. That, that gets decided. That is part of that decision. Okay, this is going a little outside of the marriage issue, but, but the next issue that I see coming down, I went to an all-women's college, and they are now struggling with the issue of gender identification and people who are biologically one gender but feel like they are something else. And this has come up in sports and beauty pageants and uh, all kinds of contexts. So that seems to be the next phase of equal rights um, movement. But how do you see some of those other legal issues? And do you think that the marriage decision will in any way affect how those types of issues would get resolved? So the issue of trans people and the uh, equal treatment or fair treatment of, of trans people is, I agree, probably the next hot issue. Those cases are actually being addressed, uh, trans discrimination, uh, those are largely being addressed on the basis of gender discrimination um, because how you present, um, if, if I were to present as male, what you would say is, you're not conforming to the gender identity that I think you should, right? And, and if you were to treat me differently because I was presenting as male, even though you think that I'm female, um, you're just, you're treating me differently based on not 
fitting a gender role, which is gender discrimination. So a lot of those uh, issues are getting decided and probably will continue to be decided on the basis of, of gender discrimination law, um, which also sort of hooks into equal protection law under the United States Constitution, um, which requires a heightened level of scrutiny for different treatment of people based on gender. Um, everyone, when, when they talk about the, the trans discrimination issue, they worry about bathrooms um, and they worry about sports. Um, mostly bathrooms though, you know, God forbid you should run into someone of a different gender or someone you perceive to be the different, a different gender, fully clothed in a bathroom. Okay, this is something that people apparently get really worried about. Um, I, I think it's a sort of a tempest in a teapot in a lot of ways. Um, when it comes to sports, there are some really excellent guidelines out there um, that talk about making sure that no one is disadvantaged or unfairly advantaged based on their hormonal levels. And so if, if I were born male uh, and presenting as female, I would have to have been taking female hormones for a year in order to suppress um, testosterone so that I wasn't particularly stronger than all the other girls on the softball team, right? And, and so there are rules around this that, that people are developing to make sure that there's no unfair uh, advantage. One of the things that we haven't talked about um, in discussing the legal ramifications and the progression of um, a more um, equalitarian way of addressing marriage is the faith community because it was the very conservative faith community that fought against um, marriage equality and really pushed to pass the DOMA laws. And now if it um, sort of all falls apart, I have a lot of curiosity about what denominations in the United States that do not uh, permit gays and lesbians to serve, many don't even permit women to serve. Suppose I'm a local, Roman Catholic, and I go to my priest and I want to be married. I'm guessing I'm going to have to have a civil ceremony, but not a religious ceremony. Do you see any impact uh, is spreading in the faith community because of this, what we hope is a coming decision? At a very sort of foundational level, um, there is, I, I think everybody can agree, there's a difference between holy matrimony and civil marriage. There are denominations that were providing holy matrimony to same-sex couples long before that involved a civil marriage certificate. Um, and there are uh, denominations that will not perform um, holy matrimony for couples who nevertheless can get a civil marriage certificate. Um, my brother married a Catholic girl. In order to have the priest do the marriage, the priest said, look, you've got to become Catholic. I won't do this marriage unless you're Catholic. So denominations make up their own rules about who is going to, what they're going to bless uh, under their faith. But that is really separate and apart from civil marriage. Um, it gets confusing because for pretty much as long as we've had this country, we've allowed clergy to perform civil marriages, um, but they don't have to, um, and they'll never have to because we, in fact, 
still mostly, um, separate church and state. Um, something that I've been finding very interesting to watch, though, is the work within each denomination um, or in various denominations to achieve marriage equality at that holy matrimony level. I have some friends who got married a few months ago in the Methodist Church. That was a very big deal um, because the governing body over Wisconsin does not allow it. And their, their ministers, I think they're called ministers, are not allowed to perform marriages between same-sex couples, and they really aren't allowed to perform same-sex marriages in their sanctuary. Well, my friends, clergy, all of the clergy of that church decided that that was just wrong and that their faith demanded marriage equality, and they performed that wedding between my two female friends in their church's sanctuary. And all of the clergy participated in that marriage so that, like all seven of them, so that if one of them was in trouble with the governing body, then all of them would be in trouble with the governing body. So it was a pretty neat thing. Yeah. I have a question, follow up on the sports thing. Because as we know, in the last in, in the in the last Olympic, the African American woman who had an ex chromosome, I think, was a Y chromosome, was declared, um, I mean, her title was taken, and she didn't even have a clue of this extra uh, hormonal. So was she XXY? Something yeah. like that. Ingrid says, yeah. But yet we say equality. But even with this, I think it is very subjective, because in certain pageant, people have had the transgender transformation and our rights are given. But when you are born, some people that way, um, then you're deciding where you're not female enough, depending upon who you are. So, you know, even though we say equality, it's still kind of subjective. So how are we gonna deal with that? Because the, the young lady, and her parent had always identified her as female. But because she, you know, sprinted so well, they decided to test her for, for no other reason but because she was Outperforming. very athletic. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I can, say, I can say that there are going to be circumstances where it's extremely complicated, and we'll just have to work through them. I, 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 we've got some great... Um, sort of principles about gender discrimination and now about sexual orientation discrimination. Are we going to now start testing everybody on, on their chromosomes, you know? Uh, or are we going to figure out a way to benchmark in some other way? Um, or are we going to have, you know, people who just, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It's definitely the next, uh, one of the next hot issues that I think we as a society, as well as we as a, in, at the legal level, are going to have to work through. Um, it's going to be an interesting discussion to watch. Yeah, kind of on a similar theme, what do you think the impact of the, assuming the Supreme Court 
um, decides in favor of marriage equality, what will the impact will that have on other laws about discriminating against gay people in housing and employment and things like that? That's a very good point. The fact that we have, once we have marriage equality, it doesn't mean we have all of a sudden non-discrimination. And so there is more work to be done to achieve full legal equality, full social recognition, full, you know, all of that. Um, so there's certainly more work to be done uh, even when our marriages are, are fully recognized. Again, there, there's, there are laws that are out there that provide some level of protection in some states, but for instance, we do not have a, a federal law that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and uh, in employment and housing and so forth. So um, there's more work to be done now for this wonderful. You've been listening to Marriage Equality in Wisconsin, Are We There Yet? Presented by attorney Tamara Packard and sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County on January 17, 2015 in Madison as part of the League's Lively Issues Luncheon. For more information about the League of Women Voters of Dane County's upcoming events, go to lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers, and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County, and any editing does not alter the speaker's meaning. This event was recorded and produced by Minds Eye Audio in Madison, Wisconsin.